Welcome to the podcast of Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. Today's message was originally preached December the 18th, 2011 by Sam Troyer, and it is entitled, My Father's House. I greet you this morning in Christ's name. It's good to be here in God's house this morning. I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 14 for a message this morning. Actually, be looking at a few verses out of the end of chapter 13. I um, changed my message uh, this morning. I was intending to preach an entirely different message and... <clears throat> God seemed to be saying that I should speak about heaven this morning. Uh, I've entitled the message, My Father's House, and that's taken from John 14. I have mixed feelings this morning as we were thinking about Christmas and the joy of Christmas and the blessing, but I am a firm believer that uh, God has everything planned. And um, the events of this past week is is, uh, something that God has ordained. A little bit of context for our, for our passage out of John 14. The disciples were, were stressed out. It was a huge week. Things were coming to a head, it seemed like, in their world. Um, you could feel things in the air. They had just eaten the Passover with the Master. Jesus had washed their feet. As a servant would, he, told, he took the bread and the wine, and he told them that they were partaking a symbol of his flesh and blood. What did all this mean? I'm sure they were still looking at that. And then Jesus told them that he would be betrayed. He would be sold down the river by one of their own. And I think there was starting to come into their minds just a little bit of dread, a little bit of something that something was going to happen. And then Jesus uh, drops a bombshell. He says, I'm going away. I'm leaving you. And I think everyone was, uh, was quite stunned, was quite, didn't know what to say. Um, looking at our text in John 13, verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Jesus, I think, was seeking to calm their hearts and to share with them of the future just a little bit out of John 14. He says, don't be troubled. You can trust in God just as you've been trusting in me. 
I have a plan. I have a place set up for you. So said the title of today's message is My Father's House. I want to read the first four verses now of John 14. You can follow along. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. I think it was very important to reassure his disciples at this point. This would not be the last that you're going to see of me. I am going to prepare a place for you. I want you to look forward to that. And there's plenty of room in my father's house for you. I have no, I don't know God's purpose in allowing uh, the accident this past week. But one of the things I'm convinced of is that he wants us to be um, thinking of heaven. I think that's, that's definitely one of the things that we know. And that's what I want to do this morning is look at heaven the place where God lives. I don't know how many of you think, thought about heaven. I know you did after you heard about Gerald's passing, but often we don't think enough about heaven. We, it's a very blurry thing to us, and we don't, we, don't, we don't visualize it. I know that I want to go to heaven, um, but it doesn't seem so real to me. It doesn't seem... Um, that clear to me. And um, I don't preach a lot about heaven. I don't know if you do hear a lot of sermons about heaven, but uh, I want to draw our minds toward heaven this morning. The scripture asks us to set our affection or our heart on heavenly things, things in the future, godly things. I think if we're anticipating heaven, it will affect the way that we live uh, while we're still here. And I think it will uh, give us a certain soberness, a certain hopefulness. That is that is the way God wants us to live our lives. Colossians 3 says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Do you anticipate heaven? I is a thought-provoking question I'd like to throw out at you. Um, is it something that you are anticipating, that you're looking forward to? Do you spend time thinking about it? Um, I think one of the reasons maybe we don't think enough about heaven is that we're not really looking forward to it. That sounds kind of startling. I know there are some in this church that are looking forward toward heaven, and I think as we get older, I think that God helps us with that in in making it less attractive here for us. But I think all of us would do well to meditate more on our future 
You know, we, we, we get this picture of heaven as a place where they play harps all the time. That's what they do. They're kind of on a cloud and they're playing harps. And I, I don't think that's realistic. I don't think that's what heaven is like. I think heaven is very much different from that. And I want to share just a little of insight what, of, what my idea of what heaven is going to be like just a little bit more. Hopefully uh, spur within us a little more interest and a little more enthusiasm for the future. Heaven is, 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 is a beautiful place. The first question I want to answer, or try to answer just a little bit, where is the Father's house? He said he's, he's going to prepare a place in heaven for us. It's in my Father's house. And the first answer is that heaven is where God is. It is the Father's house. It's where God has his throne. It's where Jesus is now after he went back to heaven. Heaven is where God is. If God isn't there, it's not heaven. You know, relationships are the most important thing in life. They always have been, always will be. And as a Christian, we've established a relationship with God. I trust that each one of you here have a relationship with God, that you, in fact, do know God and have a relationship with Him. You've responded to Him. And to you, first of all, heaven means God is there. Um, that, that's where God is. That's where Jesus is at His right hand. Charles Spurgeon shared a, an illustration that uh, kind of, Uh, accentuates that point. He says, a little child whose mother was dying was taken away to live with some friends because it was thought that she did not understand what death is. All the while, the child wanted to go home and see her mother. At last, when the funeral was over, she was taken home. She ran all over the house, searching the sitting room, the parlor, the library, and the bedroom. She went from one end of the house to the other, and when she could not find her mother, She wished to be taken back to where they had brought her from. Home had lost its attractions for the child when her mother was not there. My friends, the great attraction in heaven will not be its pearly gates, its golden streets, nor its choir of angels, but it will be Christ. That's, That's what heaven's about. If you don't have a relationship with with God, that heaven's not the place for you. You don't want to go there. Number one, you won't go there. And number two, you don't want to go there because you don't have a relationship with God. That's where God is. Where is God? Um, you know, it's hard for us to grasp uh, a visual image of what heaven really is. You know, you think of some faraway star, or you think of a a planet. This one popped up here recently in the last couple of weeks that they're not explaining where is this planet. Is this, is this heaven? We, we don't know. I want to share um, just a few things from Scripture. The way I understand it, God is now in a place called paradise. Um, it is a place that uh, Jesus said that the thief on the cross would go to that day is in paradise. 
And Jesus is there at the Father's right hand, along with the saints who have gone on. This place is called paradise. And the saints who die today are carried up into paradise. That's what we know. Um, It's a place of waiting. It is also referred to in the scripture as Abraham's bosom. A place where um, there's security. There is uh, the company of, of the saints and there's God is there. Lazarus the beggar is there. Abraham and Moses and Elijah are there. There is a large group of people that are there in paradise. Um, my dad is there. He doesn't have his old baggy blue pants on. He has a white robe on. Turn to Revelation chapter 6. I want to read a couple of verses there. Uh, John has a, a vision of heaven, and we just get a glimpse in John in Revelation six verses nine to eleven. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, "How long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth?" And avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were killed as they had been was completed. So we get a vision from John about what is happening in heaven now. God is there, the throne of God, and those who are uh, who were Christians were received up into heaven. They were given white robes. And it appears that they are fully conscious about what's going on here on earth and that they are waiting for the great day of the Lord. And they are asking God to bring judgment on the earth. The picture we get in in Hebrews 12 is that there's a great throng of witnesses up in heaven and they are as in in a large arena or a large ballpark, if you want to say it that way, And they're watching what's going on with the rest of us down here. My understanding, and I I don't want to be adamant about future events because I know that is a path that can uh, can be somewhat controversial, but my understanding about the next event for us is the rapture. Um when we will be received up to, to God. Um, and we're going to be joining uh, with those who've gone before. Um, right now, they're up there. Uh, Brother Gerald went there this past week, and he's up there. And uh, we have a fairly graphic scripture. I invite you to turn to First Thessalonians 4. I want to read that just to remind us. We're very familiar probably with that passage as well. But this is what is known in the evangelical circles as the rapture. Um, And my understanding of it is that it could happen any time. That those of us who are alive and remain could be caught up 
in what is referred to as the rapture. I want to read 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. The Bible speaks of a great tribulation that will happen possibly after the rapture. Again, I don't want to be adamant about that. It also speaks of the millennium, a thousand-year reign of the saints. But that's beyond the scope of the message this morning. At the end of those thousand years, Satan will be loosed for a short time, and he will be defeated at the Battle of Armageddon. At the great judgment day, then will come the day of the Lord. And I, again, I, the... the the sequence of events is, is up to some question in my mind, but they, that is referred to as the day of the Lord in Scripture. We don't know where that, when that will be exactly, but it will be a great, very, very, very notable day. Second Peter 3 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a, with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. That day of the Lord will be a climactic day in which the earth as we know it here will be burnt up. It's going to no longer be like it is. That day will be a day of judgment where the small and great Revelation 20 say will stand, says will stand before God and the book of life will be opened and uh, those whose names are in that book will then escape the eternal Damnation will be with the Lord. The bodies of everyone will be raised at that point. Some to be judged and go to eternal hell. And the rest of us who have acknowledged Christ, who are saved, will go to heaven. We are going to then be part of an entirely new setting. And I want to talk about that just a little bit. I think that is very important that we look forward to that. God is going to make a new earth, the Bible says, for us to dwell on. The sin curse is removed. There will be no longer any pain or suffering there. There will no longer be the motivation to sin. 
of former things that we experience today as a result of sin, and the sin curse will be no more. Satan and his followers are removed and cast into the lake of fire. It will be a very beautiful place. I don't know what we're all going to be doing there. I, I think it would be good for us to be thinking about that just a little bit, what this new heaven, this new earth, this new heaven will be like. I don't think that it's going to be a boring place. I don't think it's going to be a place where uh, we won't be doing things. I think we will be doing many things. We'll be doing very many enjoyable things. I know we will be praising God. I know that. The Bible says that we will cast our crowns before him with the elders. And we will praise him and adore him. We will enjoy his presence. I know that we'll go in and out and do the things that God wants us to do. And we will experience um, fulfillment in that. Will we do things like we do today? I'm not sure. Will we enjoy traveling? I don't know. It will be a beautiful place. Bible says it won't have any any sea there. It will no longer be any ocean there. There will be no pain, no suffering. No pain or killing. It just will not not be boring at all. Many people, some people feel it's going to be the Garden of Eden restored. I, I lean that way. It will be a place that God intends for us. A very, very beautiful place. A place where we can enjoy uh, living as God intended. John saw in his vision um, the new Jerusalem descending from God out of heaven. And uh, the way I would envision it in my very limited mental capacity is that, in fact, this new Jerusalem that John saw coming down out of God, from God out of heaven, is in fact our capital city that we're going to have in our new earth. It's going to be 1,500 miles square cubed, actually. And it's going to be a very beautiful thing. John describes the vision of the New Jerusalem. It's going to be a a very, very beautiful time. There's going to be a river of life there. There's going to be the tree of life from which we can eat. No crying, no pain, no more suffering. We will again be in a situation that God intended for us to be in before sin came into the world. We'll have new bodies. And I think that God wants us to spend time here anticipating that experience. I I think we spend so little time looking at heaven and considering what it what it's like. Um, and I think that one of the reasons that God allows tragic accidents uh, is to allow us to stop and think, to allow us to consider that, in fact, the little world that we've assembled around ourselves is not the end. The little world that we've built around ourselves, the things that we make ourselves so busy with, is in fact just a 
short, short preparation time for um, the future. And, and that gives me hope. That is very, very hopeful. And allows us as Christians to have a perspective on life that is missing from the worldly. Allows us to have a perspective on life that is totally gone from those who have no hope. Who, have, who look at the death as, as the end. It isn't. It's, it's just the beginning. Romans 8 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not no hope at all, but who hopes for what he already has. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. My father's house, he says in John 14, has many rooms. That should be a huge comfort to us. Do you have a relationship with God? Are you looking forward to that new home? Thomas said to Jesus, verse 5 of John 14, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas Akempis says, follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. We can be part of the people from all nations and kindreds and cultures who have access to the Father's house because of our relationship with His Son, Jesus. He has purchased us with His blood. He has redeemed us. And we have become part of His family. We are His sons and daughters. We have a relationship with God. And there is no other way to the Father's house than through a relationship with His Son, Jesus. There is no other way. I want to share a story that uh, Dr. Bruce Emmert shared. As a child, he was the son of a, of a military man. And it brings home the idea of, of us moving up to heaven. I think it, it really uh, touched a, vein, uh, a nerve in my heart. A response. He says, I grew up on Air Force bases throughout the height of the Cold War. My dad was a sergeant in the Strategic Air Command and maintained nuclear missiles. He was, he was on duty at the Atlas Missile Site during the Cuban Missile Crisis outside Cheyenne, Cheyenne, Wyoming, where we lived at Warren Air Force Base. 
1965, Dad was transferred from Warren Air Force Base to Grand Forks Air Force Base in North Dakota. Dad's transfer was immediate. He moved ahead of us. My mother, older sister, and brother and I were left behind to clean and pack. The movers came and hauled off our stuff. I don't remember the movers packing away our furniture or dishes, but I do remember vividly as my bed, the toys, and summer clothes were packed away and hauled off to the moving van. One of the last things to be packed away was my stuffed dog. I had named Cleo. It was quite traumatic for a five-year-old. The four of us moved into a hotel for a week or so and waited until we received word from my dad that our base housing was ready. So there we were waiting to hear from my dad that everything was ready in our new home. Finally, my dad called and off we drove across Wyoming, Nebraska, South Dakota, and finally into North Dakota. The drive must have been very long, but I remember very little of it because shortly into the drive, I became very ill. So ill, in fact, that we couldn't continue the drive. My mom just couldn't, couldn't take it anymore, and so she called my dad to come and get us. I have quite vivid memories of Grand Forks Air Force Base. It was a, it was a Minuteman missile base. That's what my dad worked on. That, there was even a test silo on the base. I saw those missiles t- trucked in and out of the base all the time. Grand Forks was also home to NORAD, to a B-52 bomber wing and an F-105 interceptor wing. There were all kinds of airplanes and helicopters. There were also bombs and nuclear air-to-ground missiles that were called a hound dog. Suffice it to say, Strategic Air Command bases were tightly guarded during the Cold War years of the mid to late 1960s. They weren't secret bases, just very secure. The only way in were through two or three gates that were guarded. I remember fences fences with barbed wire around the entire base. The gates were guarded. There were guards all over the base. As I say, the only way to get into the base was to drive through the gate. But not just any car was allowed through the gate and not just any person was allowed to drive it. You had to have the authority to to get onto that base. Well, my mom and us kids waited for my dad to come get us. I'm sure my mom was relieved to have his help. Soon we found ourselves at the main gate of Grand Forks. My dad was a tech sergeant at the time, by no means an officer, but I remember so distinctly what happened when we stopped at the gate. The guard looked at the Department of Defense tag on our car, then looked at my dad's identification tag and saluted him onto the base. We drove onto the that base and up to 346C Teak Avenue, our new home. I walked into our home and there was our furniture, our brown sofa, our pea green swivel chairs that my folks still have in the basement of their home. I ran up the stairs and there was my room. It had to be my room. Of course it was my room. There there were our bunk beds, the kind where the headboard looked like half a wagon wheel. The bed was made with my bedspread on it, our toys were in the closet, and most importantly, my stuffed dog Cleo was propped up against my pillow. I was home. It was a new place, but it was home. My dad had gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us. When our new home was ready, my dad came and got us so that where he was, we could be also. And when we got to the gate, my dad got us in. Dad was our way to our new home. He was the only way to get to our new home. We could not have gotten on the base without him. We would not have had a new home without him. He even prepared our rooms for us. My dad was our way in the gate 
the way, the only way to get into the gate. I think that's very illustrative of Jesus who has promised to go prepare a place for us. And our relationship with him is what um, is going to allow us to enter that place. Finally, I'd like to say that my focus on heaven helps me today. Um, I think some, one of the reasons maybe we don't talk about heaven as much is because our life is too good here. We have it fairly easy, most of us. And so we don't, we're not troubled in, in wishing for heaven like some Christians have been over the years. But I can face difficulties today without throwing in the towel because of my future. I think that's very true as I look toward heaven. Number two, our worship of God is more meaningful as we look forward toward heaven. We look forward to a reward and with confidence to that when our time here is, is up, and we don't know when that's going to be, um, we'll go to heaven. Finally, I think we, as we think more about heaven, we'll spend more time investing for the future. Investing in the things that, uh, that actually matter. That's a challenge to me. Uh, investing in the things that really matter. For you parents, that's your children. Um, Investing in in the things that really matter. For those of you who minister, who are ministering to others, that's what really matters. Um, It's the only thing we can really take with us is the the way that we impact others. Um, Only things we can do that we can take along with us to heaven is the impact that we will have on others. we can, um, I think, become more and more excited about the future as we invest in it and understand that that's where the real reward will be. The teaching this morning is not theoretical. Uh, Each one of us will will face it. And it becomes very real at a, at a time like this. Job had a tough and a painful life, and he looked forward to the resurrection and a new body and a new earth that he would share with his maker. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me, I think that is what God would have of us as well, to spend more time thinking about the future and to allow events that have happened here to create within us a seriousness, not a sadness as is one that doesn't have hope, not a gloominess. I admit there's a heaviness initially, but I think there should be within us a seriousness a serious hopefulness, a joy as we look ahead to, to heaven where those who 
have uh, gone on before are waiting for us. God bless you as you serve him further. We'll call for a song. You've been listening to My Father's House, a message by Sam Troyer. This podcast is brought to you from the Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. Find us online at BethelMennoniteOnline.org. Thanks for listening.